Hello, and welcome to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive people who are trying to figure out how to navigate in the world, being fully present in it and engaging in it entirely without losing their marbles and without having to sacrifice their health in the process. I'm Leah Burkhart, the hostess on the show. I'm a health coach and life coach and absolute nerd, so (laughs) I'll be sharing content with you today about high, high sensitivity, especially as it relates to this concept of what it means to be nice. Now you have to understand, there's a couple of things happening for me when I'm talking about this particular topic, because this is not only an issue for me as a highly sensitive person, but it's also an issue for me as a woman, and also an issue for me as an introvert. They all kind of connect in one big blob. Uh, So anyway, moving on. What do I mean when I'm talking about the word nice? I think it's important to be clear because I'm not referring to the kind of person who's just kind. I'm treating this word as though it is different from kindness. So, for example, if you were to look up the definition of what it means to be nice, you would find words like pleasant, agreeable, satisfactory. Um, if you found word, if you were looking instead for the word uh, kind or kindness, it is the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. So you notice that there are some very subtle but important differences here. Kindness is about being generous and considerate. It's about being aware. Niceness is about being pleasant and agreeable. I don't know about you out there in who might be listening. I don't know if you are a woman or a man. I don't know if you identify as being highly sensitive or not. But I have a hunch that you've got a sense that niceness isn't necessarily good. It feels nicer, to use that word again, but it's not always experienced well. Have you ever walked into a room, had a conversation with a person, and you just know this person is absolutely disinterested, could care less about you, and yet they're behaving so nicely. I mean, they're practically growling at you, but they're doing it through their smile. (laughs) This happens with a lot of folks, and it turns out to be a particularly damaging pattern in terms of behavior, not just for the person exhibiting it, but also for the people on the receiving end. So, Let's get into the details here. So uh, there was actually an article that came out very recently by a gentleman uh, whose name is uh, Peter Messerschmidt. Never heard of him before this, but I was looking at high sensitivity and niceness and whether there were others out there who maybe had uh, had come up with or d- experienced this in a way that was perhaps less than ideal. So this gentleman talks about niceness. And the first thing he talks about is the relationship between high sensitivity and the likelihood that someone would try to be nice all of the time. It kind of makes sense because if one is a highly sensitive person, it's likely to be true that that person is going to be more prone to empathy for others, not necessarily because they're better people, but because they're sort of wired to feel more deeply what's happening around them. If their nervous system is functioning at a more, I don't want to say high, because again, I'm, I'm trying to avoid making high sensitivity sound like it's an elite trait or something. 
But if you're dealing with someone who's just more sensitive to their around it, surroundings, they're probably going to feel on some level what the people around them are feeling. And so the likelihood that they will want to alleviate suffering is greater because to alleviate their suffering is also to make me, the sensitive person who's feeling it without wanting to, <laughs> more comfortable. So it's not even necessarily coming from a place of altruism. It might be coming from a place of, oh dear God, if you could just be happy, it would so make my life easier. <laughs> like, so at any rate, Peter's talking about this in terms of, yeah, there is probably a higher likelihood of someone who's highly sensitive being at the very least perceived as nice because it's very likely to be true that they'll experience the world around them and therefore want to shift it in such a way as to make their lives easier. In this case, being nice to others so that they can calm down and then we can be calm. Here's the thing, though. Um, niceness can be a fault. It can be a detriment. Examples of when that can come to come up. Uh, Sometimes we can use niceness as a survival skill and as a pattern rather than exhibit it from an authentic self. So it's sort of like if someone's been snippy with you and then you behave nicely in response. Or as a woman, if some guy has been eye-ogling you and rather than say anything, you sort of politely smile and look away. Uh, it's coming from a place of, oh, if I... I'm not nice, I won't be liked. So I better cons be consistent with my niceness because no one likes someone who isn't nice. And in particular, no one likes a woman who isn't nice. So I, I don't know about men and high sensitivity and whether this is the same kind of struggle for them, which is again why I'm making it clear some of this is my stuff as a sensitive person and some of it is a, as a woman. Moving on though. Um, times when being nice isn't so nice is when it's not authentic. I don't know about you, but I know when someone's faking nice to me, and I'm more aggravated by that experience than I would be if someone were just mean. Because at least when someone's being authentic and mean, I know what I'm dealing with. I don't feel like I'm, I'm waiting for whatever mask it is that this person is wearing to come off, only to be that much worse later. I'm looking directly at someone who's not in a good mood, who's grouchy and mean and spiteful, and it's like, eh, I don't like it, but I can respect it. And yet, and yet, I am constantly trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice to interpersonally with the people I care about. I'm trying to be nice at work with participants that I teach. I'm trying to be nice to clients. I'm trying to be nice to just about anyone in my, my surroundings. And most of the time, because I'm really fortunate, and I would honestly t say that most of the people that I surround myself with are good people, it's not actually that hard to be nice. Um, it's coming from a place that's real. I'm being kind to them and generous to them because I love them and it feels good. So it's not coming from this place of, oh, I better be nice because otherwise I won't be liked and if I won't be liked, then I will die. Um, but there are times when I catch myself behaving in a way that is not congruent with how I actually feel. It's the time when I say yes to a project that I really should have said no to. For example, today, I'm going to teach a class in San Ramon. I said yes. 
I honestly should have said no. I have a lot going on in my family. There's a lot of uh, drama that's just festering with us. I've been putting up with a lot all week. I've been going to work each day. And to be clear, I love my family and I love my job, but it's been a rough week. And I really should not have said yes to this class. And yet I did. That was not an authentic response. I gave it because I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be seen at the office as someone who's a go-getter. Now I'm going to go teach this class and I'm sure it will be fine. But nevertheless, what's irksome about it is I didn't say yes for the right reasons. I was too busy trying to be nice. So let's really get into the details here because I know this is all, again, starts off being sort of esoteric and philosophical. Uh, but I want to get into the actual nitty gritty. Why is this a problem? Number one, when you're being too nice, one of the first things that can come up as being problematic for you is uh, your capacity can be lowered. So let me tell you what I mean by capacity. Uh, think of your willpower muscle. This is a conversation that comes up a lot, especially with regard to health, wellness, and behavior change. If you wake up first thing in the morning, most of the time I would be willing to bet your willpower muscle is strong. So your ability to choose the oatmeal over the, I don't know, bund cake <laughs> is high. Um, your ability to communicate effectively is higher. Your ability to navigate traffic jams is higher. Like you're, you're dealing with life and you're kind of just taking it. You can take it. But as the day wears on and as it seems to sort of poke at you more and test you, capacity wears down such that by the end of the day, often people will report that they're likely to eat less healthy foods because they're just so tired. They're tired of making decisions. They're tired of being good. They're tired of doing it right. Just give me the goddamn frozen pizza. <laughs> Bust out the ice cream. I'm exhausted, and you're damn skippy. I'm going to turn on some bad TV, and it's going to be delightful. Uh, or maybe it's, I'm going to bust open this bottle of wine, and who really cares if I drink the bottle? It's that sort of experience where it's not so much that you didn't want to do well for yourself that day, but your capacity by the end of the day is just so much lower. I like to think of capacity to make the right decisions for yourself. And when I say the right decisions, I mean to make supportive decisions. So as you're navigating your day, you can make decisions that are supportive to you and your growth, development, health, and wellness, or you can make decisions that are not supportive to you. My having chosen to take this class on was a decision that was not supportive to me. I'm really trying to work on being clear about when I should take things on and when I shouldn't, and that was not a decision that was supportive to me. It'll be fine, but it is an example of that which was not moving me in the direction I want to go. So, if you're thinking about capacity, I like to think of it sort of like a sink. It's a sink and it's filled with water. So every time I wake up in the morning, I have a sink filled with water. Now, as the day wears on, using all of the examples I've already done, traffic, the dealing with people, going to the Starbucks and having maybe a grouchy person in line, whatever it might happen to be, it's sort of like someone has pulled the plug. And the water isn't going to just leak out all at once and right away, but it's slowly seeping out. My capacity to make supportive decisions for myself is starting to get lower and lower and lower. And the lower it gets, the more likely I am to make choices that are due to patterning. So the lower my capacity, the more likely I am to go into my habits. And in this case, my habit around being nice. 
all the time because I should always be nice. No one should feel uncomfortable around me. Everyone is wonderful. Yeah. So there are a couple of things that I can do here if I want to increase my capacity for making supportive decisions for me. Uh, I can get sleep at night. Every time I get a good night's sleep, bam, that sink's filled again. My capacity's pretty high. I can meditate. Meditation refills my capacity. It makes me feel like I can take on the world again. Exercise can build capacity. You know, so it's basically, these are the kinds of things I can do when I want to turn the faucet on and refill the sink. But the sink is still leaking. What most people tend to do is try and refill the sink at a faster rate than it's le leaking. And I think that's fine. You know, hey, it, it's sort of like with money or with finances. If, as long as I'm making more money than I'm spending, all is right. I mean, it, I'm fine. But this other piece, again, the whole having unplugged the water, that can be done or dealt with rather by, you know, putting a stop to it. And things that put a stop to the water flowing out include saying no, setting a boundary, being clear about what your limitations are, maybe even gasp, not being nice, being firm, being clear, being honest. Because anytime that you're doing something or behaving in a way that isn't actually congruent with how you truly feel or what you actually want to, to develop in yourself, that requires energy. It requires a lot of energy to carry that kind of thing around. And your body will scream for that energy in some form. So if you're going to deplete yourself of that much energy, you're going to need to sleep that much longer, rest that much longer, or eat that much more food, drink that much more alcohol. You're going to have to compensate for that extra burden somehow. So it's really a tangible problem in the realm of your health and wellness because if you're constantly taxing your capacity in this way, the likelihood of your being able to make the right choices is lower. So again, being too nice can sometimes mean you don't put up boundaries when you need to. You don't say no when you really ought to rest. What that means for you, you probably will be the guy who's saying yes to everyone and doing all of the nice things, and then at the end of that day, being rather cruel to your body. It can also be a problem amongst friends. If all you ever are amongst your friends is nice and you always just go with the flow, man, you're just that person who's always there, A, it's easy for people to take you for granted. And I'm not, not even necessarily in a sense that they don't care about you. They probably care very much, but they don't know that you're hurting. They don't know that you're uncomfortable. So what can start to develop is this habit in the relationship amongst your, you and your friends where, oh, well, you know, it's Leah. She's cool. She'll, she'll go with whatever. We all know she's fine. You know, let's also go to Chinese. I think she has a problem with MSG, but she was okay with it last week when we went. I'm sure it's not a big deal. So it's a problem for me, personally. Just so you're aware, I, I don't think I actually do have a problem with MSG. But uh, just using that as an example, this becomes a problem for me because now I'm going to be stuck eating food that isn't good for my personal body. And it's not actually good for them because what usually occurs with those sort of dynamics is I go with the flow and then I start to build resentment, maybe not in that one episode at that one restaurant, but over time I start to build a lot of resentment around the fact that, hey, no one ever really thinks about me. No one cares about me. Why is it always whatever you guys want to do? And then as that develops, at some point an explosion will happen. It, you know, it, blood will out 
So will truth. The truth will out. It will come out somehow. So randomly, when my friend does one more slight without intending to, I just explode. And of course, my poor friend is sitting there thinking, um, okay, <laughs> I, I don't really understand why you're so angry with me, but that's fine. I guess we can talk about it. So it's confusing. It can actually damage relationships because now there's two problems. One, I'm not being honest with my friends. So now my friends can't trust me when I say what I want. If I'm not being clear, my friends are going to, at one point or another, start to feel like they're kind of on tiptoes. Do we ask her to come with us or don't we? Does she really want to be here or is she just being nice? Once these questions start to rise amongst interpersonal relationships, it damages the health of that relationship. So being too nice is never a good thing, especially if it's patterned niceness. Uh, it can also be a huge problem between you and your partner, so a beloved. It's especially challenging here because you spend a huge amount of your time with your partner, you know, with your beloved. If I'm spending all of my time just saying, yes, honey, yes, dear, yes, dear, well, I, anything for you, baby, my partner's going to assume that that's fine and will assume that everything's going well. Much the same as with my friends. A, a habit will start to develop where I just do what's right or what's nice or what will make you comfortable. And at some point, I'll start to resent it. And then in one moment, you'll say one thing or do one thing that's just one thing too many. And now all of what you do is bad and mean and inconsiderate. That's not a good way to behave into interpersonal relationships. That's the kind of thing that destroys a partnership. Because again, it comes back to trust. I can't, or my partner can no longer trust that I'm being truthful. Amongst family, here's another one. Now, when I'm talking about amongst family, it's not really all that different between being amongst friends or between you and your partner. In my particular case, uh, we are coping with substance abuse challenges. And from the research that I've done on substance abuse and how that impacts families and the dynamics between them, it's fascinating to see who is exhibiting the classic roles of these characters that evidently are fairly universal archetypes. So in a family, for example, there's the, the actual addict, uh, there's the enablers, there's the hero, um, there's the clown, there's, there's all these figures and characters that come to life in response to addiction in a family. And one of my family members is classic enabler. She's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. She's the classic, oh, when someone causes you harm, turn the other cheek. And the thing is, most of the time, she's behaving in a way that's just truly authentically herself. So she's not just covering up what she really wants. She really and truly does believe in what she's doing and how she's doing it, what she's saying and how she's saying it. But in the context of this dynamic, her niceness is poison. I'll say that again. Her being nice is poison. She's apologized for this family member of ours who continues to hurt herself and all around her, who's continuing to tell lies, 
who's continuing to point fingers, who's willing to push blame on anyone but herself. And this family member of mine, who, again, who's very nice, is burying her head in the sand and is saying, we should just love. We can't do anything about it, so let's just love her. Now, I'm all about love. Love is great. I can absolutely love. I mean, I'm trying to think if there are exceptions. But when it comes to my family, I love them. I love them all. I don't necessarily like them all the time, but I do love them. I just don't think, though, that being nice and being loving are necessarily synonymous. They're correlated. Often when I love someone, I am nice to them. (laughs) I don't want to be mean to people I care about. But I guess what's uh, another way of thinking about this might just be patriotism. You know, there are these layers to patriotism, what it means to love one's country. And if you talk about the most superficial of layers, it might be, oh, I have a flag outside of my, my porch, and I salute it each morning. That's a patriotic act. Or maybe I sing songs about my country. That's patriotic. Um, another thing could be to assist in public programs or public works, or to aid in some capacity, like, you know, maybe you're volunteering in uh, the voting booths or something to that end. You're being patriotic. I love my country enough to volunteer my time for it. Uh, a deeper realm of patriotism might be defending one's own country. I'm willing to go fight and die for my country. I mean, woo, talk about a sacrifice, right? Talk about being nice. <laughs> Except there's also this, this willingness to hold my country accountable. One could argue that Martin Luther King wasn't very nice about the injustices that were happening, that, let's face it, are still happening, but were much more blatant at the time that he was on this earth. A lot of people, I think, told him, just be patient, just be kind, just love and be loved, just turn the other cheek. Eventually, you know, the country will come around. And he wasn't really willing to take that. Now, he wasn't cruel. He insisted on nonviolence. He didn't want destruction. But he wasn't nice. He held his country accountable. And he marched hundreds of thousands of people in an effort to communicate that message. We won't take this. This is not okay. Our boundary starts here. And you can take hoses and you can spray us down in the streets. You can beat us. You can jail us. But at the end of the day, we're still going to be here and we're holding you accountable for your actions or inactions. The same thing can be said within the context of a family. I don't think that, you know, I, I would never say that Martin Luther King didn't love his country. In fact, I think he had the most profound sort of love. The kind of love that says, I love you even though you're flawed. And I love you so much I'm even willing to tell you that you're flawed so that we can fix it. It's the same thing that can happen in a family, in this particular instance with regard to addiction. Turning the other cheek in the case of a a family member who has addiction is the equivalent of saying, I don't really care about whether or not you die. I'd rather you just think I love you. I'll just keep loving you, keep being nice to you, hope that you be nice to me. But nothing gets solved that way. Nothing really gets solved until someone at some point stops and says, 
my boundary starts here. You are causing this family pain. You must be held accountable to that. So I guess what I'm saying here is being nice can actually cause one's own self physical harm. If I'm not being if I'm not clear about my boundaries with regard to this family member of mine who has an addiction problem, this family member can keep hurting me. And it doesn't help her because she's not going to get better and it sure doesn't help me because I'm going to continue to be caused, you know, to be harmed by someone who's unstable. The same is true out in the streets too. When people start catcalling me, I can be nice, sure. But I don't want to give the impression that it's okay to objectify me, even if it's good reviews that they're giving me at the moment. That's not okay. If I'm at a party, most of the time, I believe it's one in three women at this point that will be raped at some point in their lifetime, at least in this country, the United States. Most rapes that occur happen between people who know one another. And most of the time, a lot of it involves alcohol, and there's a level of ambiguity. Women are taught to be sweet, to be nice. Women are not told to be assertive. You know, I'm not trying to put the blame, but, you know, to be clear, it's not like, oh, you got raped, it's all your fault. But if you have developed patterned behavior that says you must always be nice, and you're actually trying to communicate in a clear way, no, I don't want to be touched there, I don't want you to do that, if you're not being clear and even willing to be assertive and potentially even mean, the likelihood of ambiguity, confusion, is raised. Clear communication and authentic communication is important, not just for, you know, interpersonal relationships in the sense that, oh, honesty is a good thing, but because it helps with your capacity, when you're able to make clear boundaries and be clear about your limitations and communicate those communi- like those limitations to others, you're not going to keep uh, you know, taxing your, your energy, yourself, your being. If you're really clear with your friends about what you can and can't do, not only will you like your friends more, but in all likelihood, your friends will like you more. People, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I can certainly say for myself, I respect the friends in my life who are honest with me and who are clear and who can put down their limitations with no problem. I respect the hell out of them for that. In fact, I, I envy it and I'm trying to <laughs> integrate it for myself because of that fact. You know, I, with one's partner, not only would you love your partner more if you were clear about your needs, even if those needs meant that you weren't being nice. But I bet your partner would love you more because it's like, oh, thank God, I had no idea that was bothering you. Why didn't you tell me? You know, I've been doing this every day for years. Why didn't you just tell me? I'm sorry. I would. I didn't know. Amongst family, and in this case, when I was talking about family, I was referring to a very particular example. But again, amongst family, be clear with those you love what you can and cannot do. And out in the world, whether it's at work or in public, don't say yes to things you don't want to say yes to. That's dumb. (laughs) It's being nice, yes. Niceness has a place. It's lovely. But when it's patterning, it's the umbrage effect. You know, it's that evil professor that's festering and is mean. But she wraps it up in a nice little voice. It's creepy. Don't do it. And I kind of want to close for this session uh, in, in talking about sort of the difference of origins between three primary words 
compassion, kindness, and niceness. <laughs> so compassion is to sympathize with someone to such an extent that you want their suffering to be removed. So it actually, the, the root of the word compassion is linked to to suffer together. So someone who is compassionate is the person who climbs into the hole with you and says, ah, yes, I've been here. Let me help us out. I know the way. Or maybe even, yeah, I've been here and I don't know the way out, but I'm willing to sit here with you in it. Let's do this together. How can I help you? How can I serve you? Kindness is very similar. I think I said this in the very beginning. You know, it's the quality of being friendly, of generosity, consideration. So again, there's this uh, presence about both of these words. To be compassionate is to be able to see someone and say, I see your suffering and let us suffer together. Kindness is, is being, uh, being able to pay attention. Be, you can't be considerate if you have not considered. <laughs> like, it takes consideration to be considerate. <laughs> so you had to have been focused and uh, I don't want to use the word present because it's so esoteric, but it's like I was focused on you when I was considering my options and I decided to be generous. So that's an act. I'm doing something. Niceness, again, is just being agreeable and satisfactory and pleasant. It's sweet. It's lovely. I'm being nice to you. Funny enough, the origin of that word, stupid and ignorant. So the next time you think about being nice, and if you have any inclination within you that suggests perhaps you're being nice for the wrong reasons, what I highly recommend is you pause and you really think about how you might do this better. Maybe the niceness that you're exhibiting isn't authentic. Maybe you're just being nice because you're terrified of not being liked. That's not a selfless thing. That's not altruism. That's sort of selfish. You're being cruel to yourself, and by extension, you're being dishonest with others. That's not necessarily a good way to go. Instead, embrace your inner uh uh. <laughs> embrace your inner sense of no, this isn't okay, or I'm gonna do what I want, or, you know, again, I'm not talking about things that are gonna purposefully cause pain to others. That's not compassionate. Certainly be compassionate. Certainly be kind. I guess what I'm really saying here is just make sure you're also being kind to yourself. So, to that end, uh, I look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, if you have any questions at all about what it means to be nice versus compassionate, and whether that means with others or by yourself, for yourself, always happy to chat about that. And in fact, if you would love to, if you're willing to send me a note, I'd love to hear from you. What's your experience with being nice? How has being nice impacted you? Positively? Negatively? And here's your homework assignment. Experiment one day with just not being nice. Instead, try to be real. Be well. Take care.